you're up. If you read the newsletter this week, you were expecting Rob to be preaching. So I dressed up so you wouldn't be disappointed. <laughs> Before we come to the passage, and we'll read it together, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you ever find yourself talking to yourself? I was doing some research on this, and it says it's, some would say it's a sign of uh, intelligence. Uh, I go with that because I talk to myself at times. Uh, I did some walking this summer and coming up a few hills, I remember telling myself, come on, you're nearly there, a few more steps, all of that, so you're motivating those kind of things. So it would seem like talking to yourself in and of itself is not a bad thing. If you answer yourself back, that may be slightly more concerning. If you answer yourself back with a different voice and personality, then that might be quite serious, so I would check in on that at that point. But I do think in the passage that we're going to look at, in some ways the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, is actually speaking to himself. I think what he writes here is to some extent as much for him as it is for the Ephesians as it is for us. The last couple of verses of the passage we're going to look like says this. It says, verses 19 and 20, it says, Pray for me also, and wherever I speak, my words uh, will be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So I think those things in mind, Paul in some sense is motivating himself. And I trust that he, as he speaks about the armor of God, he will motivate us as well. So uh, let's go back to the beginning of the passage, verse 10, and I'll read it for us. I believe it's going to be up here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, all, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil one in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the, feet, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the, word of the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And as we already read, pray also for me, for whatever I speak, for whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Or declare it fearlessly as I should. So, in that sense, back to the start. Um, these are the last words Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, apart from a number of greetings. And with that in mind, I suppose they're quite significant and important. But it's the end of a series for us and the end of a book for Paul. So in context, there's much more happening. It's not just a few words about the armor of God. 
but Paul has spoken about a number of critical things, and those who've come over the summer and preached before me have, have addressed a number of those. But if you were to look at the book, you would see Paul is very clear about the spiritual blessings which are in Christ, given to all of us who are in Christ, and those are significant and powerful. He speaks about moving from death to life. Things can't be much more significant than that. Being one in Christ, the sense of the Jews and the Gentiles becoming together. We probably don't get the impact of that. We're not impressed by it. Probably the closest thing in our minds might be something like apartheid and uh, whites and blacks in South Africa coming together. Or slave, the slave movement and the changes that came to that and freedom. And later on, he'll speak about masters and slaves being in church together. How would you deal with that? How would you manage to be one in Christ in those contexts? That's part of the stuff that Paul is talking about, the change that's happening. And then he moves on to begin to talk about the realities of that. That's the theory. But the realities we have to live out every day, interacting with people. Uh, he begins to talk about rules for new ways of living, letting go of the old ways and working them out in a Christian household among masters and slaves, Jews and Gentiles, living those things out on a day-to-day -day basis. The stuff that Paul is talking about here is world-changing stuff. Many have talked about the letters of the New Testament as being instruments that brought down empires. That's how significant they are. And therefore, it's probably not surprising that Paul uses the phrases, we don't struggle just against flesh and blood. And it's probably not surprising there for that he ends with this great motif of the armor of God because he knows it will be a battle. If our lives and the lives that surround us and the lives of us as a community and the way in which we impact the community in which God has placed us and the way in which God's people will impact the world in which they live, it cannot be business as usual. It's to take a stand and to equip yourself with the armor of God because this is not business as usual. This is a very different thing. Look at the words he uses. In verse 10 and 11 and onwards, he says, verse 12, let me read, or yeah, verse 12, for we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers in dark, of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those are very strong words and language. I suppose for Paul, one of the things he probably came to realize as he was imprisoned in chains were that the soldiers, the Roman soldiers who had imprisoned him and would place him in chains and kept him captive, ultimately they were not his real enemies. It was the forces behind them that were the enemies. I spent, I don't know how long on the phone this week trying to uh, get in contact with uh, customer service in an insurance company. 
It almost drove me to distraction. You know, if you've ever tried to deal with those and after, you know, listening to um, umpteen times of, if you want to do this, press one. If you want to do that, press two. And it goes on and on. Then you forget what one and two were. By the time you get to the end, then you have to kind of start all over again. And then I got through to someone and they couldn't help me. And, you know, I have to remind myself, it's probably not the person I'm speaking on the phone. That is the one I should vent my upset and anger at. <laughs> but there's forces behind. And so it is. Even when there are tremendous abuses in systems or organizations like government and church, it is not often the individual who's in front of you who is that that flesh and blood is not the enemy, is not the force, it's the other things behind that, systems and organizations and authorities that seek to change things and hold things often as they are. So he begins by reminding those to whom he writes that it is not just what you see that is the enemy. It's more than that, it's beyond that, and that which you cannot see is often more the enemy than we can realize. And with that in mind, it's probably not surprising as Paul moves on to firstly indicate that it's not perhaps the soldiers in themselves who are the enemy, but also as he has sat there, some would say for months, watching these Roman soldiers, that he picks up this image of the armor of God. He's seen them wear it every day. And one of the things that I've looked at this passage, I've often wondered, is are there particular reasons that Paul chooses particular pieces of armor to relate to particular concepts and ideas? Is that just haphazard or are they very deliberate? And that's what I want to explore this morning with you. So we'll jump in and see where we go as we work through this concept of the armor of God. And he starts with the phrase, speaking about the armor as the belt of truth buckle around your waist. Put that on. Um, why is that important? Perhaps in a world that is full of fake news and media spin. In fact, I think I heard someone saying this week, the truth is not truth. That was Rudy Giuliano from uh, the States. He made that comment. So how do you understand truth? Whose truth is it? Is it yours? Is it someone else's? Is there any objectiveness to these things? Well, Paul wants to say that the things of God are true and that they hold everything together. The last thing probably the Roman soldier puts on is the belt that holds his sword and has armor to protect his uh, loins and stuff of that nature. So as, as a result... Paul wants to say, yeah, truth is important. And perhaps now, more than ever, we live in a world where truth is in flux. In history past, there was times when truth was obvious. It was what someone told you truth was, <laughs> whether it was true or not. Now, the difficulty is we have to make up our own minds, and there's all kinds of opposing views. So it's important that we think that true, that we become you know, individuals who will examine and consider things and work them out. The next that Paul moves on to is the breastplate of righteousness. And this was one, this was probably where I began to think, is the particular reason why Paul chooses his words and his pieces of armor. 
You see the breastplate, what we might call a bulletproof jacket today or an anti-stab jacket, protects the vital organs, the heart and the lungs. And if you get injured there, you're in real trouble. Righteousness really does protect the vital organs of this Christian spirituality. And that comes to us two ways. Firstly, the knowledge that we are made righteous by Christ on the cross. That is imputed to us. It is not something we could ever have earned for ourselves. But Christ has made us righteous by his sacrificial death. We need to know that. Otherwise, our heart is not in it. But also, we are called as followers of Jesus to live righteously. To live right in the world in which God has placed us. And if you've been in a situation, or perhaps you're even there now, where you know in your heart that you're not living right before God or other people, then am I right in saying that it gets you right here? So it's the breastplate of righteousness that protects our vital organs. And we need to be able to put it on and to remind ourselves that our righteousness first and foremost comes from Christ, but also that he gives us by the living spirit within us an ability to live right in the world in which he has placed us. And therefore, that becomes significant and important. For Paul, Can you imagine being in prison, wondering what on earth's going on? He had to remind himself, I'm sure, that it was Christ who made him right with him. And that even in prison, there's a responsibility on Paul to live right. The fact that others have treated him wrongly does not excuse him from not living rightly. And he works those things true. Verse 15 says... Our feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. They say an army marches on its stomach, but its shoes is also important in that process. And I think here, one of the great significance of the Roman army was that uh, because of Roman roads and because uh, of their ability to march well and their sandals that were built, that were made specifically and designed specifically for them, they were able to be in any part of the empire in a matter of days or weeks rather than weeks or months or years. And that was part of what maintained what's often considered to be the Pax Romanus, the Roman peace. But Roman peace Roman peace was only found at the tip of a short sword, which we'll talk about in a moment. It wasn't really peace. It was simply the absence of violence. It was peace that was maintained by this sense of fear that the Roman army brought upon those who lived within the empire. Here Paul uses the phrase, that our feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This peace that Paul speaks about was gained and earned and secured 
in humility and death by Jesus on the cross. I often wonder why, for example, Northern Ireland, it continues to struggle at times with its peace process. I think one of the reasons for that is that there was never any sense of atonement. People in both sides felt that there was wrong, and to find a peace process, that wrong was, to a large extent, had to be ignored and moved past. And there was no way other than to do that. That's what happens to us to some extent, we say, in our relationship with God. There's the past and the sin and the wrong and the rebellion is ignored and we move into relationship with God. But in our case, in God's, in God's dealing with us, it's not ignored. It's fully dealt with. Christ becomes the atonement. And there is no peace without atonement. And it's the gospel of peace in which atonement comes that Paul says we need to be ready to walk and to share that gospel. In this particular instance, standing forward is moving out, or standing firm is moving out with the gospel of peace. In addition, he says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. One of the things that the Roman soldiers were famous for were their shields. There are stories in ancient battles around the same time as the Romans that those who had great archers could decimate an army in a valley before they even got close. They would be destroyed. We, I suppose in modern warfare they talk about them as snipers or drones or something like that, but you would, the battle happens without seeing the eye, the whites of the eyes of your enemy. And that happened fairly often, but the Romans had these large rectangular shields, and when they kneeled on one knee behind them, the entire person was protected. And what they were brilliant at in terms of this concept of a shield of faith was they would put them side by side and protect each other. So the first row would protect the front, the second row would hold them overhead and they could move forward. Even with illustrations where they've talked about in some of the great battles, the sun being blotted out by a thousand flaming arrows. Most armies would be destroyed except the Romans because they had shields of which they protect themselves. I think the illustration for us is too, faith is important. The journey on which we travel through the book of Ephesians, seeking to make a difference in our own lives and the world in which we live, is not an easy one. And you will need faith to progress in it without question. And if the illustration of the Roman soldiers and their shields is important, then I suspect we will need each other. Sometimes it's your friend's faith who protects you when you have none of your own or not enough of your own. Sometimes it's you protecting someone else with your shield of faith when they struggle and fall and stumble. So it will distinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and doubts will come. Harm will happen. But we must stand side by child and our shields locked in place and move forward together. Otherwise, the lone person is in trouble. And that's part of the image that Paul is projecting here. 
the helmet of salvation is to protect our heads, our minds. Are you sure of your salvation? Are you confident that you are right with God and that that's being dealt with? That will protect your head from being messed about by all the things that this world will throw at you, all the challenges that will come. When things don't go as you hoped they would, sometimes you need to be able to just retreat to a safe place where you know I am right with God and for your head and your mental health to be okay. And salvation brings that, the knowledge of salvation, the awareness that I am right with God, regardless of how much wrong is happening in the world around me. So I think there is reason why Paul chooses these words very deliberately. The helmet of salvation protects our minds. It gives us that confidence. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Interesting, the only offensive piece in the armor, the Word of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we have to move out, as I said earlier, the Pax Romanus, the peace of, the peace of Rome was maintained at the end of a short sword. Roman, Rome was famous for their short swords, for their ability to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat close up and personal. But Paul wants us to remember the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not your ability to argue that will win people to Jesus. It is the truth of God's Word. You may be able to bring uh, harm, as it were, or injure other people in their own concepts and ideas. And they may lose their faith in whatever it is they have their faith in. You may be, in that sense, victorious. But that type of a battle will not win them to God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the one that we use. We need to be able to move forward in. We need to know that it is not all about us, but it is about us taking God's Word to a lost and suffering world that need help and encouragement. And we can do that by God's grace. And then just to finish up where we were, I won't say much about this, but verses 18 to 19 and 20 again, this deep sense of prayer that Paul calls on. Verse 19 is fascinating. Look what, it, think of how many times he uses the word prayer. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for God's people. Pray also for me. And he goes on to ask that they would pray that he would be fearless in proclaiming the gospel of peace. How significant and important that may be. So as we wrap things up, I want to just ask you to consider some things. From time to time, there are such things as boot camp, traditionally military, but these days you hear about them for all kinds of things. Sometimes you send your teenagers away to boot camp if they've got some issues they need to get sorted out. Or I could go to boot camp to get a, a beach body, a beach bod for, for the summer if I got ready earlier in the year. It might have taken a few boot camps, but we we'll, won't worry about that. In their essence, boot camps were military, hard work, 
preparing you, getting you ready for battle, to be able to move forward. But I want to just for a moment pause and talk briefly about spiritual boot camp. What does that look like for you? Talk this morning about the pieces of the armor of God. Is there one in particular that God spoke to you about that says, you know, I need to work at that. I need to be able to use that piece of armor better because I'm vulnerable without it. And I ask you, what will you do this week to become stronger, to be built up in that particular area? Going back to where I started, what will you say to yourself? How will you motivate yourself to move forward? Is it the belt of truth? Do you pause and think, you know, I have all these doubts and I'm not sure about the truth. That's all right. Doubts are, in fact, a, a necessary aspect of faith. And if you have questions, then find someone who can help you answer them or give you at least insight into some of the arguments around them. I can guarantee you this. Whatever questions you may have, you're not the first to have asked them or to seek answers for them. Is the breastplate of righteousness? Do you feel injured right here? Do you feel it in your gut, in your heart, and you think, I'm not doing well? I'm struggling. I'm in danger of a fatal blow to one of my vital organs. How can you build up the strength of your breastplate of righteousness, what Christ has done, and how you live it out? Shoes of the gospel of peace. When I walked the Camino, shoes were significant and important. You wanted to get a good pair. I took a lot of time trying to figure that out. Have you thought about how able you are, how ready you are to move forward with the gospel of peace? That's not difficult to get better at that, but it does take a boot camp of some kind, work and effort on your part. The shield of faith. How's your faith? Have you been receiving arrows, flaming arrows from the evil one? Have you felt the blows, and how can you build your faith to strengthen that, strengthen your shield, and do you need to draw us around you to help you with that as well? Or did you this morning think of someone who you think you may need to get alongside because they're in danger? Helmet of salvation, are you sure? And if so, I'm sure those folk here in the church would love to talk to you about being sure that you are right with God. And the sword of the Spirit, how well do you know it? Do you know how to use it? Not to destroy people, but to bring life to people. Will you take five, ten minutes each day this week in a boot camp just to get some good exercise, as it were? Pick one of these and you may think of particular things that the Spirit of God may lay upon you to say, this is what you need to do. But if that's not the case, then I would just say take 10 minutes. Spend two or three in prayer, sharing what's on your heart, and spend the rest of the time just listening quietly and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and move on the things He speaks about. I'm going to pray for us. And I pray in that moment of prayer that the Spirit will speak to you and say, 
here's one piece of armor I need to develop and grow and become more sufficient with or use, uh, able to use better for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to take a moment just to thank you for these powerful images from your apostle, from St. Paul as he speaks. And I pray, Father, that we would take great encouragement in them because you call us, like the Ephesians, to be in the midst of this sense of changing empires and worlds and society. How can we do that if we are not prepared, not well equipped to do so? And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning as your people and you would lay your finger by your spirit upon aspects of our lives that need to be strengthened or we need to become better at and that you would encourage us to do so this week so that we may be able to stand and when we have done so that we might stand firm. Amen.